We love jewelry, but what we love even more is jewelry that is sustainable and good for our planet. Coco in Eden is committed to making beautiful pieces that are not only stunning for you, but are environmentally friendly. We love that Coco in Eden is 100% carbon neutral, meaning the company produces oxygen equivalent to the amount of CO2 it produces. Another thing we love about Coco in Eden is that their jewelry is built to last. Every piece is anti-tarnish, waterproof, hypoallergenic, and comes with a two-year guarantee. Mel and I both have Coco and Eden jewelry and we adore our pieces. Mel's necklace is stunning. I'm actually really jealous of it. And my bracelet and my ring, they're two of my favorite accessories. These pieces are beautifully made, fairly priced, and help our planet. What more could you want? Visit CocoandEden.com. That's C-O-C-O-A-N-D-E-D-E-N.com and use the code TRUEGIRLS20 at checkout for 20% off your order today. Do you love podcasts? Do you have an idea for a podcast you think the world should hear? Then head to Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout is an easy way to produce, promote, and track the success of your podcast. We use Buzzsprout for True Girls and absolutely love it. Buzzsprout walked us step-by-step through the process of getting our podcast up and running and also helped us get listed on major directories like iTunes and Spotify. I'm honestly shocked at how smooth and user-friendly the process of getting this podcast up and running was. Follow the link in our show notes to let Buzzsprout know we sent you. You'll get a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan and you help support our show. Check out Buzzsprout today to make your amazing podcast idea a reality. Welcome to True Girls, the podcast where two girlfriends tell you the true stories of fascinating women, both past and present. Stay true. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of True Girls. Melinda, hit up a jingle, jingle, oh. jingle. Um, it's another uh, uh, episode uh, uh, about True Girls. I love how you do a new one for each show. <laughs> you're, just, you're so creative. One day... No wonder you were voted most likely to be famous <laughs> one when you in school. One day one will have to just, like, stick, and then that will be, like, ours. I mean, we I do know. have a, a very catchy jingle that plays before we our do. show. We <laughs> That's true. Mean. We don't need my jingle. We do. We always need your jingle. <laughs> your jingle is a special little jingle. Mm, thanks. So, um, Linda, do you want to do you want to tell everybody what <laughs> happened on the way over to my house to record this episode oh, today? I'm hoping she <laughs> she doesn't listen to this podcast, but well, you can apologize. But I will. I will apologize. I, I apologize to her as well. But anyway, so this is what happened. So I'm, I get in my car, I'm pulling out of my driver's spot, I'm like literally like it's like two houses down, but on the other side of the street, I'm driving down, I literally pick up my phone just to text you that I'm on my way, and I didn't realize, I guess, that I was like close enough to the curb or whatever that my side view mirror just whacked her mailbox off of her, like off the mailbox stand, and I didn't even notice it. Because I, like, I had heard a sound, but when I, like, looked, I was like, I have no idea what that was. So I'm just driving, thinking that, like, I don't know, maybe I, like, hit something, like, with my tire and I just ran over something or whatever. And 
I'm like sitting at the stop sign and then this other person pulls up next to me and she's like, hey. And I was like, I was like, oh my God, what? So I rolled down my window. She's like, did you realize you just hit that mailbox back there? And I was like, no. I, and I kept trying to ask her like, which one? And she's like, right there. And I'm like, what house? So I can go back. And like, she's like, I'm going there. I came, I was like, oh, is that your house? She's like, yeah. I was like, okay. I was like, I'll follow you. So then I follow her back. And I'm like, oh my God, I did. I knocked it clear off. So I, I brought out this wad of cash because I'm just like, I, like, I'll give you, how much do you think it'll cost for a new one? Like, I was just going to give her money because like, I, I'm like, obviously it was my fault. I felt bad. And she was like, no, she's like, I don't really need a whole new one. I'm like, if like, I'll just go and get like a big nail and we'll just put it back together. And I was like, I was like, no, I'll take care of it. <laughs> I was like, I'll go. I was like, I'm going to work right now. So I can't like, I can't do it right now. But if you just leave it there. After work, I'll go to like Lowe's. I'll get like, first of all, it was hanging on by a thread, like this nail. Like I, cause I saw So this isn't the first time this mailbox has gotten knocked Probably off. not because I saw like, I saw like how it was connected and that there was literally just one nail there, like yeah. holding the two pieces together. And I was like, okay, so I'm going to go get two nails. So, so that when I fix it, hopefully it won't so get knocked here's off. My, here's what I'm picturing in my head, right? <laughs> she pulls up beside you in her car yes what i'm picturing is she like saw it out her window and went and hopped in her car to chase you down that's what i'm picturing in my head so what actually happened was she had just gotten home and was sitting in her car and so when i hit it she she chased after me as she she should have oh yeah absolutely no absolutely i felt awful i was like i get that though i've done that like oh my god i'm so sorry i was like i didn't even notice like i told him i was like honestly i was looking at my phone and i heard something but when i looked around like i couldn't tell what it was so i thought i just ran over something and i'm really sorry like here's money what do you want me to do like yeah so I'm I'm fixing her mailbox tonight, but I was just like, this is the most Melinda thing that could have ever happened. So a to couple me. of years ago, I was um, this was right before the pandemic started, mm-hmm. and you kind of know my saga of being super sick right before mm-hmm. the pandemic started. So this was after I had that weird sickness that nobody could diagnose, and. Mm-hmm. AKA it was probably, it was probably COVID, COVID. <laughs> but you know, remember because of that, the mm-hmm. doctor had put me on like everything. And so all of my immunity was just mm-hmm. gone. You know, my, my system had been wiped clean mm-hmm. and I, it was a Monday morning and I woke up and I just felt horrible. It was just like my whole body hurt. Mm-hmm. Everything was just, I mean, I, I felt, I felt so, 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 so sick. Mm-hmm. but I was a public school teacher at the time and it was the week before spring break. And one of the, one of the things that makes being a teacher so frustrating is like, you can't just call in. Right. It's not that simple right. because the kids are going to be there and you know where they are in there. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's so hard to find a last minute sub. It's so hard to find a last minute sub, you know, lesson plans have to be prepped. Mm-hmm. Literally one of my friends was giving birth yeah. and a school called her and was like, we need your sub plans. I mean, right. It's so hard to take time as a teacher. Right. So it's like, I'm just going to go to school. I'll, I'll come up with some sub plans during my planning period. And then Mm -hmm. I can, you know, I'll let them know I'm not going to be here tomorrow. So they have time to find a sub. Um, so I was backing down my driveway and I, I don't even know what I was. I don't even know what I was thinking. Yeah. I couldn't tell you. I was so sick. I like, wasn't even there. And I, I even have like a backup camera, mm-hmm. but I like felt a tap and I was like, 
I think I just hit, I think I just hit the car because the, my neighbor across the street, Mm -hmm. I think he has a son who comes to visit him and the son was parking his car directly behind Behind, our driveway, even though there was like plenty of space to not be directly behind our driveway. He was directly Mm -hmm. behind our driveway, which he had every right to park there. So I like gently tapped it and I I got out of my car and I couldn't see anything. So I called Trey and I was like, can you come out and look at the map, the car thing? Mm -hmm. So he comes out and he didn't see anything either. And he was like, you just go to work. Like, I'll write a note. Right. So he just wrote a note with his number and he was like, if you notice anything wrong, yeah, you know, just give us a call and we'll, we'll, we'll pay for it. We'll do whatever yeah. we need. But there was no like visible, not even like a scuff. There was yeah. nothing. Yeah. So yeah, they never called us and he also stopped parking right behind my driveway. <laughs> Good um, job. And that's when I went to school and I walked into the office and my principal said, sit down. You look terrible. Got my temperature taken. It was like mm-hmm. 103. Like, and, I, and she was like, go home right now. Like, we'll make it work. Just go yeah. home. And I was like, okay. I was like, okay, thank you. Yeah. And that's when I found out I had floopy. Mm-hmm. So that was, that yeah. was fun. And then I missed that entire week. Mm-hmm. And then. Yeah. I felt really bad, but she was really nice about it. Well, so this part made me sad because I missed that entire, I, I, I really liked this group of kids. Yeah. Like, I really loved these students. Um, but I had to miss that entire week because I was sick. And then. I came back on Friday for a little bit and there mm-hmm. was like, this was when there were like whisperings that we might not come back after spring right. break because mm-hmm. of COVID. Right. So I told all my students, I was like, y'all just, I was like, here's what I want you to take home. And I made them take home all of their textbooks, mm-hmm. their, their novel that we were reading. I like made them take home anything that I thought I would need. Yeah. If, if they were going to have to do school at home mm-hmm. in my head, I was like, It'll probably be like a week or two that they're home, you know, but like at least they'll have their stuff. But I did. I like made them take stuff home and then Mm -hmm. I never saw them that school year again because it was COVID, you know, and that was really sad because the last week that I could have spent with my kids, I was at home super, super, super sick. Um, So that's how the COVID pandemic started for me. It's just a, a whirlwind. It was a whirlwind of yeah, time. it really was. I remember I was, like, sitting there, like, you know, because I worked at um, the at Titusville at the time. Like, I worked at the theater. I was in the office at the theater at the time. And uh, we had, we were doing something rotten. Yep. And they, we did two weekends, and the third weekend got, or the, or we did three we weekends, did three and, weekends the and the fourth weekend got canceled. Got canceled. Yeah. And I just remember... Having to, I remember that third weekend, people were calling asking if we were still having shows, and I had to put on the like, of course we are, yeah, absolutely. Because at the time, it was like we didn't know, but we weren't gonna just give people refunds and stuff because we can't. We we're, had no idea what was gonna happen, right? So it was just like we were just like, yep, we're still having it. If you don't want to make it, or you can't, or you're sick, then you know whatever. But um, and then I just remember like, I think it was like Monday after we closed that we all were like, I guess we're not opening this next weekend. Well, I remember from a performer standpoint, so Melinda was working in the box office. I was performing in the show, something rotten at the time. Mm -hmm. And I remember we were all sitting in the green room. I think it was intermission and Disney announced that they were closing. Right. And when Walt, it was Friday. Yeah. And when Walt Disney world announced. Yeah. They were closing. We were all like, and because, too, so many of the people in the mm-hmm. cast 
theme parks, that was their source of employment. Right. Like they were in entertainment in right. theme parks. Mm-hmm. We had a ton of parade dancers. Yeah. We had a lot of hospitality people. Mm-hmm. Um, so not only was this this like, is our show going to have to close apprehension? Right. It was like this, am I going to have a job? Am right. I going to work apprehension? And I just yeah. remember the conversations and it was like, yeah, you know, if Disney closes down, mm. Disney has only mm-hmm. ever shut down one other time. Yeah. And that was September 11th. Right. So the fact that Disney was shutting down, like yeah. Disney will even remain operational in hurricanes. Like they'll keep Sometimes, their, they'll keep but their, yeah. hope, but they'll keep their hotels open. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, they, cause they'll, they'll have somewhere for people to go. Right. Like there's, there's still, but there's still this stuff was like happening a at Disney. shut down. Like they got this everybody like out. Everybody out. Yeah. You know, and crazy. So, I can't imagine. I'm glad I didn't work there during this time because I can't so imagine glad. being like a worker in like the hotels or oh, something I hate that. and have to be like, hey, yeah, sorry, I know you paid for this whole entire week, but like you gotta go back home. <laughs> Part of me misses working you know? at Disney though. I do. I miss. I have certain moments in my life where I'm like, oh, I had a really good time doing that. I would love to go back, but if I did, I'd have to be in a different role. I couldn't do ops like yeah. I did, I couldn't do operations. Um, which operations yeah. is like you work the attractions. You yeah. are the people that load or clean right. or, you know, stack 3D Star Tours yeah. glasses. Like that's what, yeah. that's the operation side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I would do entertainment management. That would be the only way you get me to go back. Yeah, I would love to work in the education program there. Yeah. Like, because, you know, they bring in a lot of schools to do, to like walk down Main Street and mm-hmm. play something. Like, because I do miss working in education yeah. and I do miss working yeah with kids so something like that i think could be great Mm -hmm. i don't know i would also love to start like a like a disney shadow program where like you take kids from inner city schools and you bring them to disney and they get to shadow cast members for a day and like you know just something like some sort of park-based outreach yeah where kids who normally couldn't afford to go to parks come and like you teach them all about how it works and the management and they get to see it like i think that would be a really um, well, Disney World, in case you're listening. I know. <laughs> um, just sure. like a little idea. Just like a little idea. Yeah. Um, but if I went back, it would have to definitely be in a different role. Yeah, I wouldn't go back for ops. I wouldn't even really, realistically, I wouldn't go back in entertainment either. I would do entertainment management. I wouldn't. I, wouldn't. I physically cannot I'm, handle the entertainment stuff anymore. Like I have, I we have a really there. good friend who yeah. does entertainment there. He dances in the mm-hmm. parades and in the casual shows and stuff. And like, he is a tough little cookie because yeah. the physical toll I know that that takes yeah. on his body dancing and, and working and out that so much. And it's so hot. Like, been there, done that. It, it was so 9 hot. million degrees. And like, they, I mean, they don't, it's not like they dress you like you're going to be out in 90 no. degree weather. They dress you in the costume that matches the theming. Right. Which is part of what makes Disney such a special experience for yeah. the guests. But yeah. like, no, it's, standing in the Florida heat in the summer in polyester pants and a polyester yeah. blazer is... Because that was American Idol. American Idol, which is where I worked, was like, mm-hmm. you had those polyester pants. You uh-huh. could not wear shorts. Right. You were in a gray and blue shirt. That like, that like bowling. But that's my thing. It's like, if you're in a gray shirt standing yeah. outside in the Florida sun in polyester pants, like, what are you going to see sweat. all over you? Sweat. You're just going to look like a sweaty, gross mess. I like had to find ways to like yeah. absorb my sweat before pack, it got to my gray shirt. Pack so gross. would wear that shirt, like parade, audience control or whatever that pack stand for I think that's what it was stand that's what it stood yeah, for yeah I think so but they had the same shirt so when I was in my first college program and I was working Tower of Terror I was also Sunset Pack so like we had the mm. same things and I would do um 
whenever we did, because Block Party Bash was there at the time, so whenever yeah, I would do classic. grade control for that or for the High School Musical 3 show... <laughs> Like it this was is always all <laughs> taking me back because all of that, you know, we yeah. weren't there at the same time. So all of that was yeah. there when I was there too. So I'm just like, I'm just having flashbacks to standing outside of mm-hmm. American Idol and, like, and the, and the high school musical floats coming. And it's like everybody all for one. So yeah. Just yeah. Begun. yeah. I remember that. And yeah. then if times. I were to hear, I would immediately know the song that played in yeah. block party bash. Troy remembers oh, it. He'll randomly sing it. Celebrate good times. Come on. And they had another one too. And they did R-O-C-K in the USA. Yeah. Did that yeah. one. I mean, they did multiple songs, but those were like the two big ones. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Good times. I will yeah. say though, my favorite like <laughs> park performance was Mulch, Sweat, and Shears. Oh, I loved they them. They were amazing. They're also I got to do, so really I got to do nice pack. guys. I got to do Pack for Mulch. Yeah. Um, which you'd be amazed. Like there's a... Big yellow truck mm-hmm. coming down the middle of the road. <laughs> yeah. And guests are like, what's going on? I right. need to get right. out of the way. And I'm like, yes, you're going to. It's a show. I would like ask people to get on the sidewalk and they glare yeah. at me. And I'm like, what's the option? You get run over by this thing coming at you? Like, right. move. Move. But working working mulch was like my favorite yeah. thing to do at Disney. Yeah. I, if some, if they're like, we need somebody to stay and work the midnight mulch show. I'd be like, me, me, (laughs) I'll do it. And they were, the guys were so nice. Yeah, they're very nice. I worked Um, on with them. They were all so, so nice. I worked with them too. I really, I really, really appreciated them. They were, they were just a really good group who, even though they were an entertainment, they Mm -hmm. weren't stingy towards the ops people right like you get well, some the only people, people that are ever like that are like the princesses and stuff like sometimes they get a little like i'm a disney princess and so they're sometimes a little a little stingy know, little, but, but these guys were like whatever super but yeah super 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 nice we really we miss them yeah i'm sad that show got shut down that was I a know. sad day they should bring it back why not they should it was great some entertainment starting to come back but like, per, like shut, performances like shut that down i mean i know they did but they shut down like, in August 2015. Yeah. Because I remember I couldn't go and I was really upset because yeah. I just started teaching. Yeah. Um, so that was mm-hmm. that was really sad. Anyway, we should probably talk about our girl. So Let's today, we are talking about someone who I believe it is absolutely absurd we never learned about in school. Okay. Her name is Sybil Luddington. And I truly believe at the end of this episode, you will agree with me. The information that's out there about Sybil is so so limited that today's episode regarding her it's going to wind up being a little shorter than normal mm-hmm. but that's okay because it's totally worth it to talk about her girl Sybil okay so Mel can you hit us with our three basic facts about Sybil of course number one Sybil was the female Paul Revere writing to warn the patriots that the British were coming that's cool I know. That's really cool. I know. Okay, sorry. Number two, (laughs) Sybil was 16 when she made her ride, a ride that just so happened to be longer and more dangerous than Paul Revere's. Mm Mm-hmm. It's because she is a bad bitch. Anyway, uh, number three, (laughs) Sybil was honored with a stamp by the Postal Service in 1975. Yeah. That's cool. Sybil was born April 5th, 1761, to Abigail and Henry Luddington, and... Fun fact, her parents were first cousins, which makes me go, eek, but times were different. Yeah. So we're just going to quickly move on from that. Sybil was the (laughs) eldest of 12 children. The Luddington children, in order, Mm -hmm. are Sybil, who was born in 1761, 
Rebecca, born in 1763, Mary, 1765, Archibald, 1767, Henry, 1769, Derek, 1771, Tertullus, 1773, Abigail, 1776, Anna, 1778, Frederick, 1782, Sophia, 1784, and finally, Louis, 1786. So the only person that didn't have a two years in between them and had a little bit more was Frederick. But everybody else is only two years apart. And for those of you keeping up, they were busy. Sybil was 25 years older than her youngest sibling. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Can you even imagine? That'd be like your I parents mean, having a baby a couple years ago. So, like, that is pretty crazy. Because, like, I mean, my, my brothers are, like, 14 years older than me. 14 or 16. So, like, I kind of get it. Because my mom had a previous marriage and my mom was a lot older than my dad. But I mean, it's also not like, like she was popping out babies but, every two years. But she years. wasn't popping out babies every two years. But I do have a big age gap. I can't imagine 25 years. So that's pretty crazy to me. Right? So the family moved to Dutchess County, New York shortly after Sybil's birth and they settled on 229 acres of undeveloped land. Sybil's childhood, which was pre... We're going to... We have to distinguish because mm-hmm. her childhood included the Revolutionary War. Uh-huh. So her childhood pre-revolutionary war was mm-hmm. normal by all accounts her parents both worked extremely hard to cultivate the undeveloped land into a grist mill and Sybil played a significant role in helping her mother raise all of the children as was expected of the eldest daughter but also right. with that many like it's like how can you like there's no way the mom could have she literally cannot do that on mothered her everyone <laughs> there's no way yeah now in 1776 her father was appointed to a colonel status by the patriots provincial congress of the colony of new york Oof. Mouthful. Right? (laughs) Y'all don't know how many takes it took me to say that. (laughs) There was also a new provincial congress called, and this one's so much easier, the Convention of the Representatives of the State of New York, who also commissioned Henry, her father, as a colonel. Thus, the regiment, the 7th of the Dutchess County Militia, became known as Colonel Ludington's Regiment. This regiment was the most direct route that the British might take to and from Connecticut and the coast on the Long Island Sound. Okay. So it was a really important area that needed to be covered. Covered and defended. Yeah. yeah. And because of that, this area was awful to work in. The regiment and the Ludington family had to face constant threats from marauders, people plundering supplies for the British, and the loyal Tories who liked to wreak havoc on the Patriots. Because of his involvement with the quote-unquote rebels, hmm. her father was a wanted man by the British, and they put a bounty on him. Hmm. An account given by Charles H. Ludington, which is her brother Lewis's son, exemplifies Sybil's bravery and intelligence. One night, a man named Ichabod Prosser, who was a ruthless Tory, and remember, Tories were hmm. the Americans that still supported the British. The British right. They did not support the separation movement. Went to the Ludington home in an attempt to capture Sybil's father. Mel, I'm going to ask you to read what was said about Sybil and this experience. Okay. These fearless girls with guns in hand were acting as sentinels, pacing the piazza to and fro in true military style and grit to guard their father against surprise and to give him warning of any approaching danger. They discovered Prosser and his men and gave the alarm. In a flash, candles were lighted in every room of the house, and the few occupants marched and countermarched before the windows. And from this simple and clever ruse, Prosser was led to believe that the house was strongly guarded and did not dare to make an attack. He kept his men concealed behind the trees and fences until daybreak. 
When with yells, they resumed their march and hastened southwards towards New York City, ignorant of how they had been foiled by clever girls. Clever girls. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Uh, The colonel's (laughs) most vigilant and watchful companion was his sentinel daughter, Sybil. Sybil? Sybil. It was just spelled a little differently. Sybil. Okay, gotcha. Um, Her constant care and thoughtfulness combined with fortuitous circumstances prevented the fruition of many an intrigue against his life and capture. Do you know what this reminds me of? This story. It reminds me of (laughs) Home Alone. Oh, yeah. (laughs) The guys, like, are looking to break into the house. And so um, he, like, what is um, Macaulay Culkin's name? Kevin, Kevin McAllister. I should know that because the yeah. mom screams it. Kevin. Um, yes. I was thinking Ralphie. I was going yeah. Christmas story. I know it's not. Like when he puts like the, the Michael Jordan. On the like, train. On the and train. it's like going around. And he's like dancing yeah. with, you know, the ropes on him or whatever. Yeah. That's, that's legitimately what I think of when I, when I hear this story, mm-hmm. which great movie. Yeah. Home Alone. Absolutely. Melinda, this week. <laughs> Because this whole thing was a, a bout of pregnancy uh-huh. brain for me, not being able to remember Kevin's name. Mm-hmm. Um, I was trying to tell Trey what I had for lunch. We were on a walk and I was trying to tell him what I had. And I was, I couldn't, I couldn't find the word. I was like, yeah, so for the, I was like, that food, that food that you eat in the middle of the day. Lunch? And Trey goes, lunch? And I was like, yes, for lunch. I had blah, 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 blah. So, y'all, the pregnancy brain is very, 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 very real. That's funny. Anyway, Sybil, mm-hmm. during that story, she wasn't even 16 what? at the time. And yet she was willing to brave these marauders with her father. She yeah. was just wicked smart. And she was willing to do whatever it took to protect her family. Yeah. That's aw. So, I feel like I I would do that. Yes, you would. I feel like I would totally be, be like, fuck them British. <laughs> You would. <laughs> you would. Yeah. Also, we, had, we didn't it. drop a single F-bomb in our last uh, episode. So. I know. Well, there there it goes. There's one. There's one for start, me now. Start the ticker. Start the counter. <laughs> On April 26, 1777, Sybil's father, Colonel Luddington, was warned that the nearby town of Danbury was under attack by British troops and was in desperate need of help. Now, my immediate reaction is... Why didn't one of his soldiers just go to warn the Patriots what was happening? Well, it just so happens that Colonel Luddington's regiment had been disbanded for planting season. Like, they still have to take care of their farms oh, and their right. families. And right. so they were all miles and miles apart working on their various farms. So my next question then is, well, why didn't Colonel Luddington just ride and warn people? Right. That would make a lot of sense. Uh-huh. That's he's a good a grown-ass question. man. Okay. But... Colonel Luddington, he actually needed to start preparing for battle, right? Drawing up strategies, accumulating supplies, Mm -hmm. those types of things. So Sybil, who we already know was brave, said she would do it. Some accounts say she volunteered. Others say her father asked her. I like to think she volunteered. But regardless, she went. And that's what's Mm -hmm. most important. The weather is said to have been horrible, rainy, and stormy. With dangerous conditions to ride in. Sybil rode nearly 40 miles, warning all of Colonel Luddington's men and telling them to be at her father's house by daybreak. She went south to the town of Mayapak, 
mm-hmm. then north to the town of Stormville, warning everyone in between. By the time she returned to her home after her ride, hundreds of soldiers had started gathering to go and fight. She had warned hundreds upon hundreds of people in the dead of night in the middle of a storm, riding the equivalent of, get this, I mapped it out, uh-huh. 704 football fields. <laughs> That's how far she rode. Oh, my God. That's crazy. I wonder, does it... Do, how long did that take? Did it, the entire did night? You, could, okay, the entire I was night. I was wondering if there was like an hour count, but that's crazy. Because mm-hmm. like you have to think she probably didn't like. I mean, I don't know her horse or whoever might have had water, but she couldn't stop for water. She couldn't stop for a bathroom break. Like she had to She's have just, just going run all mm-hmm. night. Yeah, that's crazy. Sadly, the troops arrived at the besieged town too late. Mm. But they were able to fight the British soldiers that were leaving the town. So they were able to okay. do some sort of, you know, make some sort of a dent in the British yeah. army. For reference, for those of you who are interested, mm-hmm. Paul Revere's ride was about 12.5 miles long. Mm-hmm. And he was 41 years old. Mm. So Sybil so Sybil went three and a half times as far as Paul Revere. <laughs> and she was a third his age. And yet... Here we are. We never learned about her in school. But you know what? If we did, we wouldn't have this podcast. Well, we wouldn't. And <laughs> the other thing, too, though, is like Paul Revere, he's a man. He mm-hmm. also wrote about his experience. Like, he right. wrote about his account. Right. I think even, I know there's like a poem about it. I'm not yeah. sure if he wrote it. Uh, no. Or if somebody else wrote it. But like, he yeah. he documented his experience. Right. Whereas Sybil was just like a 16-year-old girl. Right. I mean, it makes sense to me that people know about Paul Revere because I personally feel like men men might brag a little bit more about their accomplishments. Right. He's like, yeah, I He's drove like, oh, 12.5. I, I, I just drove my horse. I just rode my horse 12.5 miles. So yeah. like, it makes sense to me Whereas she was just a 16-year-old girl doing mm-hmm. something for her dad. You right. Know, it's not exactly. like she was going to go bragging about it she was right. just gonna go back to taking care of her right 11 siblings i just would have wished that everybody else that was involved bragged about it yeah you know what i mean and that really was <laughs> the extent of sybil's involvement in the war mm-hmm. after the war she remained with her family to help raise all of her brothers and sisters as was expected of her and at age 23 in 1784 she got married she married edmund ogden who was either a lawyer or an innkeeper <laughs> we don't um, know we don't know. There's well, been, sometimes back then too, there, people have done lots there's, of things. Well, like, there's reports there. There are like people who are like, both. well, they're like, he's not found in the New York like registry of attorneys mm-hmm. at that time. So mm-hmm. like, just no one's really sure. Yeah. Well, that's what, what I mean. Is like, she claimed he was a lawyer, but like, yeah. there's no documentation. Like, there's right. no, you know, you have to ha- have like legal documentation to be right. a lawyer. Yeah. And that just hasn't been found. So people are kind of like, we don't know. Well, he could have been like a. <laughs> A pseudo lawyer, right? That people just used because I mean, back then people like your barber also was a dentist and like other yeah. shit like that. So, so like, well, they met. Yeah. Sybil and Edmund met because Edmund's parents bought land from Sybil's father, and it's assumed Sybil maybe went with her father to check on land he sold and the people mm-hmm. he sold it to, and then they met that way. Uh, similarly to Sybil, Edmund was one of eleven children. Oh my god! Mel, can you even imagine? Like, let's say all of these two families got together, right? Oh my god! That's Thanksgiving dinner. Three combined kids <laughs> who are all probably married and then have their own kids, right. and like, I can't. I would. Insanity. I wouldn't be anywhere near it. No, I'd be like, no, thank you. I'd be like, my husband and I are going to go on a road trip, have fun at dinner, have so, Thanksgiving. Breaking tradition. 
Sybil and Edmund have only one child together, a son who they named Henry, and the happy little family lived in Catskill, New York. Henry was born about two years after Sybil and Edmund got married, and from all accounts, it was a fine marriage, and the two got along well. But sadly, in 1799, Edmund died of yellow fever. Mm, that sucks. They were married for only 15 years, so Sybil was 38 when she became a widow, and she never remarried. Some people allege that Sybil and Edmund were childhood sweethearts, but family documents and letters that have been written prove Proof that they weren't. That was not true. Yeah. Um, so what does Sybil do now that she's relatively young and without a husband? I like I'm 33 or, you know, I'm going to be 33. So, like, I can't imagine, like, in a few years, like what that would be like yeah. for me. Sybil does <laughs> what Sybil does best. And she braves the storm in front of her. She buys a pub that she begins running with her son. Her first year in operation. As I was writing this, this felt really similar. Mm-hmm. There was an outbreak of yellow fever. Mm-hmm. That really hurt her business because there was a pandemic where she was living. It's right. just like, ugh. I was like, oh, this is history repeats yeah. itself. But anyway, mm-hmm. Sybil persevered and she made it through that first tumultuous year. Mm-hmm. The house that Sybil lived in and ran her pub out of still stands in Catskill <gasps> at the corner of Green and Main Street. So you we actually need to can go. see where she lived and worked. During her time running the pub, Sybil made sure her son got an education. You know, she really advocated for him. And Mm -hmm. even though he was helping her with the pub, she made sure that he got the education he needed. He eventually married and moved to Unadilla with his new wife. Sybil moved with them, and she would live there for the next 28 years of her life. Sybil helped to raise her grandchildren and remained incredibly devoted to her family. Towards the end of her life, Sybil applied for a spousal pension because her husband had served in the military. Mm -hmm. But she was told there wasn't sufficient proof or evidence of her marriage, and so her claim was denied. At age 77, Sybil died in poverty. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. What do they mean by sufficient proof of her marriage? She, like, sent, she, had, she sent them, like, all of these letters and all these things, yeah. like, proving that they were married. But they were there basically, wasn't like... like Right, they were like, none of this is the proof that we need. Like, she couldn't send in a marriage license, so they were like, I'd be like, none of this is the proof that we need, so we're not going to pay you. Oh my god, yeah, it seems so stupid. It is also for somebody who literally, like, (laughs) made such a huge impact. Okay, yeah, I don't know. That just seems like weird. Like, because I guess my question is like, clearly, like, even because even um, if she didn't have a marriage license, they lived for X amount of time together. Yes. Like, as a couple. Yes. So it's like that. How is that not proof enough that we were married? I don't know. Yes. Whatever. Exactly. <laughs> Doesn't make any sense. Exactly. Well, now Sybil is more widely celebrated and recognized. She still, in my opinion, does not receive the credit she deserves for how she contributed to the Revolutionary War mm-hmm. with a bravery and a perseverance that honestly is just unheard of for a 16 year old girl. Yeah. Uh, remember when I said you would agree with me that we should have learned about her in our history classes. Mm-hmm. Do you agree with me? Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do find it interesting that we didn't only because, you know, one of the biggest things I remember from like learning about 
um, the Revolutionary War is Paul Revere. So I find it interesting right. that they, not even just her specifically, but like there was multiple people that went and had this job. So it's like, why were we told about literally all of them? And especially someone who is such a unique case. It's just weird to me that it was never brought up. Although, I mean, again, it's like she's a woman and we always get the fucking short end of the stick because of reasons I don't understand. But, you know. I do. They hang off our chest. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Brains, everything that's necessary is there. Yeah. But that's a whole nother discussion for it sure a whole is. other <laughs> day. And that, friends, is the story of Sybil Levington. Thank you so much for joining us. We love and appreciate you all so, so, so much. Mm-hmm. It makes all the difference having you supporting us, and we are truly forever grateful. What would be really helpful is if you listen to our podcast, even if you listen every so often, if you could just hit that lovely little subscribe button mm-hmm. and maybe have a friend or two hit that lovely little <laughs> subscribe button. It yes. costs nothing to do, yes. but definitely helps make our lives easier. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it would be very, very impactful for us. And definitely. We, you know, somebody like Sybil who she died in poverty. Like, yeah. You know, her story needs to be told, and mm-hmm. we have a platform and an avenue to do that. And mm-hmm. it's just really important to us that we keep we keep telling these awesome stories. Yeah. Of amazing women. Because there's a lot of history podcasts out there that talk about everybody, not that they don't talk about women. And they're all great, but, wonderful podcasts. Right, exactly. Um, and we just want to be that great, wonderful podcast that just talks about amazing women. Exactly. Exactly. So, Awesome. Uh, and everybody just uh, stay true. <laughs> Our sources for today were Sybil Leddington from the National Women's History Museum, Sybil Leddington from Britannica, and Patriot Hero of the Hudson Valley by Vincent D'Aquino. <laughs>